All right, let's find Galatians chapter 5 in our Bibles. Galatians chapter 5, if you're using one of our Bibles that we provide here, you're going to find this passage on page 1239. 1239 or Galatians chapter 5, and we'll be looking again at verses 16 through 26. This is a little New Year's uh, mini-series, if you will, and I plan, as I said, to finish it up next week and jump back into Romans. So grateful for a congregation that doesn't give me a hard time when I want to do mini-series, and sometimes I'll do mini-series off of a mini-series, and um, I'm grateful that you all let me do that and have that freedom. I just can't be confined to a tight schedule with preaching, uh, both in what I choose to preach and then in my delivery. I took a homiletics course in seminary, and they try to get you to do their program for preaching, and I did it to get my grade, but it's like, this just doesn't fit. It's like wearing clothes that don't fit. I have to do my own thing. And um, the way that God has wired me to do it. So I'm appreciative of a, of a church that allows me freedom in this. We are, we are talking about spiritual growth for the new year. We are to be people who are pursuing it. We're kind of asking the question though, what is spiritual growth? How can we know we're growing spiritually? Is it something that is tangible that we can observe? And I would say in some ways, yes. And I base that conclusion on a passage like this. It's telling us about the spirit within us, the spirit that has given us new life, the spirit that we are to be walking by and keeping in step with and obeying, uh, and that that is actually producing fruit in us. And we're going to spend next week looking at that fruit. These are tangible ways to know whether we're growing spiritually or not. But there is going to be hindrances and obstacles to our spiritual growth that we are going to encounter and will have to learn to overcome if we're going to grow spiritually. The Bible warns the disciples of Christ of three enemies against them, the church, against their souls, their very spiritual lives and progress. Jesus talks a lot about the physical enemies, the world that would come against the disciples of Christ just as they did him. He comes into the world, they hated him, they killed him. And he warns his disciples over and over again, following me means this, the world's going to treat you the same way it treated me. That's one enemy. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talks about spiritual enemies. As a matter of fact, the whole Bible presents uh, this battle against two competing kingdoms. The kingdom of God in light and the kingdom of the devil in darkness. And that the devil is God's enemy resisting his work in this world at every point. And that includes his people. So Paul in Ephesians 6 warns his people. You're in spiritual battle, and you need spiritual armor in this battle. And so we have a second enemy. But I'm going to propose to you the third enemy that we have to our spiritual growth is not external from us. 
that it's inside of us. That we have an enemy that is far more dangerous to our spiritual progress than the world and the devil combined. And friends, Paul calls that enemy the flesh. Now, I want you to see what we're going to look at in verses 16 through 26 is we are going to analyze what Paul says about that powerful, dangerous enemy within that we all possess that is the enemy that has the potential to rob you of what the Spirit is producing in you if you let it, and to prevent you from obeying what he says to do here, which is walk in the Spirit. Now, as I read these verses for us, I'll read them, I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump to the message, but let's see if you can identify, right, and see what I'm talking about here and how I'm deriving it from this passage, this enemy within that's a real problem to all of us, even right now this moment. It's a potential problem, the flesh. So let's read, begin verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, I come before you in desperate need of your Spirit's gifting and guidance so that this message is true to your word and presented in such a way that it infiltrates not just the minds but the hearts of everyone here so that there can be life change that is glorifying to you. Give us strength to comprehend what this passage is showing us and how we should deal with our flesh that remains in us. I pray this. In the name of Jesus, amen.
We are to be a people who are actively pursuing spiritual growth and actually growing spiritually. It is not normal for a truly born-again Christian to not be growing spiritual, spiritually. That's an abnormality. And one of the things that Paul identifies here to our spiritual growth is, of course, our own inner enemy, our flesh. This is what he calls it, the flesh. And there is a warning here that spiritual growth and living as a Christian will not be easy because of this flesh. That it's going to create problems. Now, let's just pause for a moment or two and ask the question, what are we talking about when we're talking about the flesh? What is Paul referring to here? Well, it is true there are times when the New Testament can use this word flesh and just be referring to you physically. We use that expression, we're flesh and blood, so to speak. It could be referring just to your body. But probably more often than not, in the writings of Paul and others, as we will see, he's referring to something that is in you that is an influence upon you still. We might put it like this. It is your sinful nature. Your sinful, carnal nature that you were comprised of entirely before you were born again. Now, remember in verse 25, we live by the Spirit. We have new life in the Spirit. But remember, before that happened, the condition we were in was one of 100% sinful nature. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and I have a slide for that, I think. Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So catch that. We're alive now by the spirit, but we weren't before, not spiritually. In trespasses and sins, we were dead. That means we followed the course of the world. We followed the devil. Verse 3, though, listen to this. Among whom we all once lived in the passions the desires of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Before God saved you by his spirit, giving you life, making you new, you were in this condition. And sad to say, there are probably some in this room this morning still in this condition. And your whole life is one of following after the world and its wrong ways of thinking and doing, the devil, and carrying out those desires you had in your own sinful nature which were opposed to God, you see. This is who we were. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 7 through 8, for the mind that is set on the flesh is, listen, hostile to God. It's not like in a state of indifference to God. The natural man before regeneration, before the spirit, is hostile to God. 
His mind is set on the desires of the flesh and not on God. It hates him. It hates God. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, listen, friends, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot. They have no possibility of pleasing God no matter what they do. That's how bad the flesh is. It is thoroughly corrupted and ruined by the fall. It has no interest in God. It will not seek God. It will not choose God. It will not obey God. It cannot. Now just pause right there. If that's the condition we're in, can you see how in order for a person to be saved, there takes a preemptive strike of God upon their heart? To liberate them from this condition? When you're sharing the gospel with people, do you understand that if they're in this condition, there's no good part of them that's going to hear this gospel and say, hey, that sounds really good. I think now I'll submit to God. No possibility of it unless God, by his spirit, gives them life. He has to do that work. That was all of us. But Paul says now, we live by the Spirit. So it's changed now. And now we have within us this desire to do what's right. But in God's plan, when he saved us and caused us to be born again and gave us spiritual life and put his Spirit within us, he left within us our sinful flesh. And we all are like, why would he do that? If we were there in the eternity past, in the eternal counsels of God, as he's determining how this is all going to go and play out, and he comes to the part where he says, I leave within them the flesh, we might say, excuse me, can we talk about this? Paul is saying is that that old nature that will not submit to God's law, that is absolutely hostile to him, is still within us. It's no longer reigning and ruling because God has given us a new heart and he's given us his spirit and broke that slavery to that sinful flesh, but it's still there. Isn't that clearly from the passage in Galatians 5? It's still in us. We all agree in this, that when God saves us, he does not glorify us or perfect us. The flesh is always there. That's the problem. That's why, friends, when you were making your commitments this year, saying, yeah, I really want to grow spiritually, And so I'm going to take steps to do that. That's why there was resistance to that even within you, not outside of you, but like in you. You felt this tension. Look at verse 17 again. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are 
are against the flesh. Did you know that your sinful flesh, that part of you, that old nature, has a mind of its own? It has desires. It has things that it wants to do, by golly. And it's got things it doesn't want to do. It's got desires. And the problem with those desires is what? Look at verse 17 again. They're completely against the spirit and the desires of the spirit in you. So the spirit in you has desires for you. And he's leading you according to those desires. Pursue holiness and righteousness. Love God, love people. The desires of the Spirit to make you more like Christ. And at every step of the way, your flesh has desires that are completely opposed to those. Remember, they're not neutral. Your flesh is not neutral when it comes to God. Remember Romans 8? It's hostile to God. It hates every direction. The Spirit is leading you. It's very uncooperative with God's desire to grow you as a, spirit, uh, a Christian and grow you spiritually. And it's very uncooperative with your own new heart desire to grow spiritually. It has its own desires and a mind of its own. And all Christians possess this flesh and it is the greatest enemy against our spiritual growth. And it can be so discouraging and confusing. I asked Graham to go back and put up on the screen. Do we have that song by John Newton? It's probably my favorite pastor theologian from the past 18th century English pastor. He wrote many, many hymns. The most famous one we know, of course, is Amazing Grace. But he also wrote this hymn. I asked the Lord that I might grow. In faith and love and every grace, <laughs> might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. What a great prayer, right? Anybody in here prayed things like that? I have. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he I trust has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favorite hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. That would be nice. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, with more his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I'd scheme, blasted my gourds and lay me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied. I answered prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials, inward trials I employ, from self and pride to set thee free. 
and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst seek thy all in me. The Lord knew what he was doing, wasn't it? Didn't he? The Lord leaves the flesh within us to reveal our utter helplessness even as saved people. To show us the depths of our corruption so that we cry out, Abba, Father, help me. So that we are always looking to Christ as our righteousness and Savior. Even if we've been saved for 50 years, we know that Christ's needs to still save us from our sins and to teach us how to walk by the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, to teach us a dependency, a life in the Spirit, you see. This is the way God has chosen to do things for us. And we might say, deep down, I don't like it, but friends, it is good. It was the right way for God to do this. To leave within us those desires that we must learn to deal with, to say no to, so that we can learn how to walk by the Spirit. This is so important, I think, to warn Christians about, especially new Christians. When somebody first comes to faith in Christ, I know this was my own experience, it felt like all my sins had gone away. I was enjoying the new birth and time in the word and forgiveness of sins and the people of God. And it didn't take but a few months, maybe not even that, where God let me see the flesh is still there. And this journey to the celestial city, this pilgrimage in part will be you, Jess, learning how to walk by the Spirit so you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Learning even to have a healthy fear of your own flesh. Friends, let me make no mistake. You need to fear your sinful flesh more than the devil. Or more than a hostile world against you. Your greatest enemy is within you. That causes way more destruction than the devil could ever do in your life. Or the hostile world could do. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but the greatest relationship destroyer is the flesh. Paul, it's all over here. Paul just keeps bringing it in. Like he says it right before this, verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. In the flesh, what do people tend to do? Bite and devour one another. Even among the church, Paul's warning them. That's why after all this, did it seem unusual to you in verse 26 as he summarizes this, that he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Do you know what destroys a church? The flesh. You know what destroys a marriage is the flesh. Sinful desires running rampant. Uncrucified desires. This is the biggest problem. It's our flesh. And verse 17 says, Paul says that the flesh is not only opposed to the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's that internal battle, that warfare going on. But the flesh keeps you from doing the things you want to do. 
Here's what I think he means by that. I think he means that we have new desires as Christian people to grow and to do what's right. I want to do what's right. What prevents me from doing what's right is my flesh. The desires of the flesh. It's as simple as that. It's not your greatest enemy. It isn't your children. It isn't your parents. It isn't your spouse. It's not somebody else in the church that irritates you, that keeps you from growing spiritually. It is your flesh. That's the problem. Once we realize that very quickly, we quit blaming everyone else and everything else for the problems we're experiencing. It's your flesh. Did you know the only man that was exempt from the sinful flesh from the fall of Adam and Eve until now has been Jesus who could live with anyone that drives you nuts 24 hours a day and never sin against that person. I mean, love them completely and purely from the bottom of his heart with no pretense could demonstrate to that person absolutely flawlessly the fruit of the Spirit. Your relational problems, friends, are first and foremost your sinful flesh. Grab onto that. Don't ever forget it. Remind yourself of it every single day. It is your flesh that keeps you from doing the things you want to do, the right you want to do. Every resolve, Christian, know this, every resolve you make to do what is right, to do what is good, is going to be resisted at every turn by your sinful flesh. Expect that to happen. You may commit to saying, I am a worshiper of God, and so on Sunday mornings, I'm going to get up and I'm going to get ready and I'm going to come to the assembly and I'm not going to forsake the assembly and myself together, which is the habit of some, but this is my life. I'm going to go worship God and you resolve in this. And the very following Sunday, you wake up and there may be a little inkling in you that says, I, I know I should go. I, I want to do this, but I'd rather stay here and stay in my pajamas and make pancakes. <laughs> Friends, which one is the spirit and which one's the flesh? Every good intention you have is going to be met with a resistance from your flesh. Peter puts it this way. He puts it in such strong terms. I want to show it to us. First Peter 2.11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain now from the passions, the desires of the flesh, listen, which wage war against your soul. He's lined up perfectly with Galatians 5. That inner conflict between the spirit and the flesh, Paul says that, that, that those desires of the flesh, or Peter says it, they're waging war against your soul. 
It's why it feels the way it does. So what are we to do? First of all, and I'm just gonna number some things here. Number one, verse 18, do not let your battle with the flesh cast out on your salvation. Look what he says in verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I think what he means by this is that if you are born again of the Spirit, you know it, just like we read earlier in Romans 8, you've been enabled to cry out, Abba, Father. Know this, that even if you have this struggle within you, which sometimes gets the better of you, so to speak, and you fail, know this, you're no longer under the law. Remember how Romans 8, life in the Spirit begins? There is no condemnation, therefore, uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, he needs to assure the people that yes, there's this warfare, yes, there's this struggle, yes, there's these competing desires, but that's supposed to be happening and you need to remember as you learn to battle these uh, sinful desires that you're not under the law. Praise be to God for that because the law demanded perfect obedience from the heart fully and completely. You're not under the law. Don't let it doubt your salvation. As a matter of fact, this should be an encouragement to you. If you're like, yes, I struggle with sin every day. I I have the desire to do what's right and I have the desire to do what's wrong and it's always there and there's these competing desires. Friends, that's evidence, is it not, that you have life in the spirit. If that weren't the case, you'd be Ephesians 2 still. You would still be just carrying out the desires of the flesh and the mind like everyone else, like all the rest of mankind. So the fact that there's a desire to do what's right, that comes from God because as we looked at last week, it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And you have the desire to do what's wrong, that's because God left the spirit there, that's a sign of life. The fight is a sign of life. Sometimes Christians battling with sins, especially uh, sins of real debilitating uh, sins of addiction and other such things, they'll ask questions like this, how can I be saved and still desire this particular sin? That doesn't make any sense. How could I still be a saved person and give in to that sin or, or fall into that pattern again? It's a very common experience of a Christian. And what you're to do is to be saying, well, I have the desire, though, to do is right. Where did that come from? Well, it didn't come from me. It comes from God, which means God is working within me, you see. Or if I were saved, why don't I always want to read my Bible? Or why do I have desires to stay home on Sunday mornings or not be with God's people sometimes? Friends, the fight is actually the sign of life. It means you're still alive and you're not spiritually dead. God's made you alive, okay? This is one of the reasons that we long to be with the Lord in glory. Understand this. That as soon as you are brought into glory with God, you will never ever have this conflict within you again. And when, as we read earlier, Jesus raises us up on the last day and glorifies our body, we will be with bodies that do not have sinful natures and will never have those competing desires again. Can you imagine that? Won't that be wonderful? To never have your peace or joy robbed from you, from your own flesh? to never be tempted to do another sin, to just completely and thoroughly love God and love people at all times. 
never changing. No wonder we're told that in the right hand of God, there are pleasures forevermore, endless joy that's just never interrupted. It's what we long for. But let me just give this warning because we don't want to ignore warnings in the Bible. As Paul lists the desires of the flesh in verse 21, what does he say? I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me explain that, okay? Perhaps a better translation for us to be able to understand exactly what Paul's getting at here would be something like this. I warn you as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if your whole life is characterized by living according to sinful desires and there are no competing desires within you to do right or wrong, then why would you have any confidence that you would know the Lord in truth and be on the way to his kingdom? Those who live their entire lives according to the passion of the flesh are dead in their trespasses and sins. They're Ephesians 2 people. This is what Paul's trying to say. He's warning now so that nobody gets the wrong impression. I don't think we should pass up the warnings in Scripture. I think we need to park on them and meditate on them, right? But if you have the Spirit and you know it and the Spirit testifies with your spirit that you're children of God, then you know that doesn't apply to you, that he's changed your heart and actually your new heart, this is actually good news, your new heart, you may have the flesh that wants to sin, but your new heart doesn't want to. Your new heart is righteous, You've been given a new righteous heart that really delights in the law of God and what he wants you to do, okay? Second, let me say this. We should learn to identify the desires and works of the flesh within us. Paul gives us a list, verses 19 through 21, but he says this is not an exhaustive list. He says, first of all, in verse 19, notice this. The works of the flesh are evident. In other words, we wouldn't need to spend much time on this. You know a work of the flesh. That's what he's trying to say. It's very clear what it is. Then he lists these works of the flesh, and then at the end he says, verse 21, and things like these. That's like saying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what I just listed to you, not an exhaustive list. It's things like these that's very plain. You know what sin is, in other words. You know what's wrong. Identify those things. Spend some time maybe meditating on things like this and other places in scripture where it gives you law or it tells you what to do or not to do and ask yourself and ask the Lord, do I do this? Is this a problem in my heart and mind? Spend some time identifying. If we're gonna deal with the flesh, you gotta know what it is. You gotta be able to identify what is the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh, right? Otherwise, how would you deal with it? So we identify the desires of the flesh. And then thirdly, we walk by the spirit, verse 16, and we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Look at what he says so plainly. But I say walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It will not happen. The way that's worded is this. It's not a possibility. It could never ever happen. If you walk by the Spirit in any given moment, the Spirit will never lead you into sin. 
You can trust him to lead you in the way you should go. And you, you're not even worried necessarily about the law. That was a whole problem in Galatians. You're not worried necessarily about the law. You're following the spirit. And when you do that, you never have to worry about sinning against God in those particular moments. He says it also down in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit's empowering you to go in a certain direction. He's leading you in righteousness. He shows you from the Word what is right and wrong. He prompts you sometimes in your heart to to do some things from the Word that you're supposed to do and not supposed to. And what he's saying is now keep in step with Him. Don't resist Him. Don't work against him. Don't obey the desire of the flesh. Obey the desire of the spirit. So it's as simple as this. Sunday morning, we'll go back to that example. You wake up, it's time to go to church. And you've got the competing desires. And you know the spirit saying, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is good for us to go into the presence of God and to worship God. But your flesh saying, nope, don't want to do that. What do you do? If you want to walk by the spirit, you get up. And you get ready and you go worship. Guess what? You just walked by the Spirit and you didn't fulfill the desires of the flesh. We could do that with any sinful pattern or temptation in our lives. We make that determination. Look at verse 24. We make the determination. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's a sense in which we say, I'm not living according to the flesh anymore. That's on the cross And I'm not going to go take it down off the cross. I'm not going to go mess around with my sinful nature that was crucified with Christ on the cross. There's a determination there, but then also it works its way out in moment-by-moment decisions. Romans 8, verses 12 to 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That is, in the moments you're tempted to do wrong, you say no, and you kill those sinful desires. So according to Romans or Galatians 5, friends, if you spend 2023 learning and growing in your obedience to the desires of the Spirit and the leadership of the Spirit in your life, you're growing spiritually. And on the other hand, if you spend 2023 giving in to the desires of your flesh over and over again, I don't care how much of your Bible you've read. I don't care how much you've learned theologically. I don't care how much a service you've done. If you are living according to the pattern of your flesh in various areas of your life, you're not growing spiritually. That is, what, that is one indicator of spiritual growth for us, something tangible for us in 2023 so let me just wrap this up ask the spirit to show you those areas of your life that you are right now walking according to the flesh and the spirit has no problem showing you areas of your life where you're walking by the flesh he has no problem doing that you ask him you ask him what's hindering his work in you what's dampening the fruit of the spirit in your relationships What's robbing you of your joy and peace? You ask him about that, he'll show it, and then you begin putting those desires to death and you begin walking by the Spirit in those areas. And friends, when you stumble and fall, you look right back to Christ, the one who didn't fall, 
And then you get busy again killing those sinful desires. 1 John 2, 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So there's never reason to quit because the cross work of Jesus is effective and he's our advocate interceding for us when we sin and the spirit is in us now empowering us to pick up where we left off and begin walking for, uh, forward and, and, and following the spirit. Never reason for the Christian to be discouraged. We'll end it there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this perfect salvation you provided for us through you and your spirit and your son. Help us to be a people growing in the spiritual walk And next week, Lord, I pray as we look at Galatians 5 one more time, uh, really impress upon our hearts the fruit of the Spirit and grow us in these ways in 2023. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.